So I'm going to pick up where I left off last week, and if you weren't here last week, I will tell you where I left off last week. The first of this message series, really time for New Year's about expanding the power of our awareness, good looking out, slang for basically, thank you for being aware, thank you for knowing what's going on. I ended that message with an invitation for each of us to explore our lives in the same way an archaeologist would examine a dig, closely, carefully, with diligence, with devotion, with depth, so that we're not just looking past our lives, but really trying to get in touch with what's here. Now, this image of being an archaeologist of our own experience reminds me of what is still even after about six years of doing this here at Wellsprings, what is still my favorite description of the essence of the spiritual life and the essence of spiritual growth. So some of you have heard this before, and some of you might be hearing it for the first time. It starts with this image, and it's from Pema Chodron. She writes, Spiritual awakening is frequently described as a journey to the top of a mountain, we leave our attachments and our worldliness behind and slowly make our way to the top. At the peak, we have transcended all pain. The only problem with this metaphor is that we have left all others behind. Our animals who are in pain, our alcoholic brother-in-law, the people we know who are struggling. She says, rather, flipping the image, that in the process of discovering our true nature, the journey we find goes down, not up. It is as if the mountain pointed towards the center of the earth, not up into the sky. Instead of transcending the suffering of all creatures, we move into turbulence and we move into doubt. We explore the reality and the unpredictability of insecurity and pain, and we try not to push it away. If it takes years, if it takes lifetimes, we will let it be as it is. At our own pace, without speed or without aggression, we move down and down and down. With us move millions of others, our companions in awakening from fear. At the bottom we discover water, the healing water of compassion. Right down there in the thick of things we discover the love that will not die. What Pema Chodron is talking about is choosing with a deeper and expanded awareness and an open heart, choosing what is real, not chasing after what is ideal, but choosing what is real sometimes even when it's difficult and finding there when we choose the real something amazing, something magical, and a love that can transform us. Now, it reminds me of this. Perhaps some of you have seen this on Facebook. Today I will live in the moment, unless the moment is unpleasant, in which case I will eat a cookie. <laughs> now, raise your hand if any of you have ever done that. Okay, so we're, we're kind of all in that together. Cookie or something else, by the way. The issue with this joke, and why I think so many people posted it over and over and over again on Facebook, is that in reality, it's not funny. In reality, many of us check out regularly. We say, okay, this moment is unpleasant, so I'm going to check out with a little bit. I'm going to check out with my cookie. And maybe my cookie is drugs, or maybe my 
cookie is, is porn, or maybe my cookie is alcohol, or maybe my, my cookie is fantasizing about the way things could be, or maybe my cookie is playing over scenarios over and over and over again in my head. And then we say, oh, but it's just for this moment, just this one unpleasant moment, I'll grab my cookie. And then the next moment isn't very pleasant either. And we grab another cookie, and pretty soon our lives is grabbing nothing but cookies, because life can be unpleasant and difficult. It's a way of outsourcing our lives and never being here. Like Lucy used to put in peanuts, the doctor is out. We can hang a vacancy sign on our lives saying, well, if it's unpleasant, we don't want to be here. And we end up never occupying our lives. So I want to tell you this right now that I had two moments this week intentionally in which the power of awareness that I seek to cultivate regularly and still exist so imperfectly with the power of awareness did change my ability to stay very much in the moment. And it changed my perception of who I was and how I could relate to reality. The first was about what was going to happen. It was at a doctor's office. Now, my health is fine. I want to assure you if you are wondering about that. I'm in my 40s. Uh, things start to happen that didn't happen a decade ago. And I know for those of you who are older than me, that right now you're saying, just you wait, buddy. <laughs> just you wait. So I'm okay, but this was a follow-up visit. I needed to have a test done. And I'll tell you how this story ended. It ended with the doctor coming back into the examination room and taking my blood pressure and, and saying, is your blood pressure always this low? It was like 106 over 60. And I responded, well, I was just sitting here meditating. Because here's the truth. 15 minutes before that, sitting there in that cold exam room, only partially clothed, hooked up to a whole bunch of wires, getting anxious, <laughs> inventing scenarios in my mind, hypochondriac that I am. What if this is the time that they find out how deathly wrong something is with me? Except, I have some different ways now to deal with anxiety. And I acknowledge that feeling that that was there. And those thoughts were there. I didn't try to push them away. I just acknowledged it. And I sat and I did the only thing that made any sense in that moment. I breathed. And it was a doctor's office, so it took a long time for that doctor to get back to the exam room. And so I just kept breathing, acknowledging what was real and working with it. And in time, actually, even though it wasn't my aim, calm down, calm down, calm down, it wasn't mind control, the calm and the peace came. And I mean, I'm not lying, the, the blood pressure mechanism showed it. So the point of this is to recognize that first being aware of an emotion or a desire or a mood state, if we're first simply aware without trying to change a single thing, then in that moment we can then choose a more wise, more thoughtful response. Choose action if there's a means of action we can choose, or maybe non-action. But in that moment, if we first just accept reality, then we can start to open. It reminds me of one of my favorite quotes, Blaise Pascal who said, and I really got it in that moment, in that cold doctor's examination room, Pascal said, all of our miseries come from our inability to sit in a quiet room alone. 
I could have made, and I was way on the way, by the way, by the time I caught it, on my way to making myself miserable, catastrophizing. <laughs> we all know what catastrophizing is. It's inventing scenarios that don't exist, and yet, for us in our heads, they entirely do. They blot out all of reality. Pascal is absolutely right. Our misery comes from that inability to sit in a quiet room alone, because sometimes if we don't sit in that quiet room alone, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go out and blame others. We're going to make them the cause of our, minister, uh, of our misery. We're going to make them the cause of our sorrow or our suffering, rather than perhaps saying, well, I don't need to be close to that person right now. That's not good for me. But we're going to get angry at other people. Perhaps in its most vicious sense, we will seek to oppress other people or act violently toward them in thought or in deed because we cannot sit with our own stuff first and foremost. It's those moments when we grab whatever that cookie is and says, because this moment is too unpleasant, I don't want to face it, so I'm going to make something else to make me feel better. But it doesn't. The second... And the power of awareness definitely changed who I was in the moment. It was, was right over there, by the way. It was right in that Gress Center. It was after a Tuesday night meeting. And it was the end of a very, very long day for me. And I went to the washroom, was washing my hands, and I was replaying a scenario from earlier in the day. So it was about something that wasn't going to happen. It was about something that already did happen. And I started to get into the story. You know, the story when it winds and winds and winds and, and, oh, I could have said this differently and that was really stupid of me and couldn't I have done that better? And all of a sudden, it just snapped into my mind. I was not washing my hands. <laughs> I was actually not present. In that moment of recognition, something changed. And what I recognized was here I was. This water, this simple water, this warm water actually felt good. 30 seconds before when I was lost in dreamland, I had no idea I was washing my hands. But here I was now, washing my hands. The warm water, I recognized the soap, smelled like artificial pink grapefruit, which is one of my favorite smells in the world. I saw these little, I mean, it, it sounds almost crazy, but if you've had a moment like this or moments like this, you know it's very real. I saw the, the droplets of water, some running down in little rivers to the drain and some hanging out around the side of the gleaming white bowls. And I thought, you know what, this is freaking beautiful. Just to see water interacting with the gleaming white basin. All of a sudden, I snapped back to reality and what was completely mundane was beautiful. It was gorgeous. It came to life. Now, some of you know there's kind of a, um, right now, there's kind of a Sherlock Holmes moment in our culture, that there's a couple, there's the movies that are going on that are very popular, the series, and that there's a BBC and also a CBS version of Sherlock Holmes. And so there's a lot of people writing about Sherlock Holmes and this phenomenon. And in the past week, a whole bunch of you actually sent me two links, one from Slate, the online magazine, and the other from the New York Times, with a psychologist writing about why is Sherlock Holmes so popular and what makes Sherlock Holmes Sherlock Holmes. And it was all about the power of awareness and particularly the power of mindfulness. Now, it's not as if Sherlock Holmes, who was actually a cocaine addict, was a practitioner of mindfulness, but Sherlock Holmes did know how to pay attention. One of the things that Sherlock Holmes says to Watson is, you see, but you do not observe. 
That's what I was doing, by the way, when I was at the sink and not paying attention. I was seeing, but I was not observing what was there. This tendency, which is a very human tendency, to overlook our lives, to look past to what was, to look ahead to what will be, rather than occupying the space that is right here and right now, because the mind likes to go elsewhere. And so I'm going to ask you right now, where's your mind? Right now. Are you thinking, I don't like this awareness stuff, would he please shut up? Are you saying to yourself, I like a cookie right now, I would rather not be here? Are you saying, this awareness stuff sounds great, how do I do it? Well, we've got some answers for that. Or maybe you're just wondering about some harsh words that you explained, uh, exchanged with someone you love earlier today, or you're fantasizing about what the next, you know, the rest of today is going to be like. So I'm going to ask you, are you actually here right now? Because you may not be. You may be having an out-of-body experience, and not in some grand spiritual way, but just you're literally not here. Check in, because as all great spiritual teachers tell us, so many tell us I can't even quote one because I hear this over and over again, the truth is we only have moments to live. And I'm not talking like, oh my God, we only have moments to live, we got everything done, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. No. We only have moments to live. We can reflect on the past. We can make sense of its difficulties. We can be grateful for its blessings, but we don't live there anymore. And the future hasn't happened yet. We only have moments to live. So when I was standing at that sink, coming fully alive, just washing my hands, it reminded me of two things. One is, as you may have seen before, it's called the practice of wudu in the Muslim tradition, the ritual washing of the hands to the ankles three times each and then up to the elbows three times each, very carefully paying attention. I think for the first time I really got what that practice was about, that getting in touch with the water. It's a presence practice. It invites us to be right here, right now. And the second thing it reminded me of, and by the way, these two things normally don't go together. I'm sure this is uh, not quite um, uh, approved within certain understandings of Islam, but it reminded me of Eminem, the rap artist, who's brilliant and also very controversial and at times incredibly offensive. He's got this line in one of his songs called, Snap Back to Reality, Oh, There Goes Gravity. And that's the thing. When we pay attention to what is quote-unquote quote normal, the stuff we might overlook, the stuff we don't want to pay attention to, we actually see that there's miraculous stuff going on. That there is, as we just sang, not just because it sounds good, but because the words make sense, that there is beauty in the world if we choose to pay attention. When we allow our normal perceptions, as the Bible might call it, to be the, the foundations to be shaken, we allow ourselves to be shaken up a little bit and to pay attention, we see that we really have this opportunity to get in touch with our lives, as the 12-step traditions call it, to maintain conscious contact rather than unmindful daydreaming or unmindful or out-of-touch replaying of scenarios over and over and over again. In this reminder of reality, we recognize how profoundly connected we can be if we choose to cultivate this way of living. It takes practice for many of us. I must tell you, I lived from basically the age of 13 to 35 seeking unconscious contact with my life. 
takes practice for most of us. It doesn't come naturally, especially in a world in which we are connected to all kinds of other things so regularly and can have our heads buried in technology or simply in the sand. It's one of the reasons that spiritual practice is a core value at Wellsprings. Because as we say, spiritual practice allows us to stay in touch with our spiritual source and with ourselves. And it takes practice over and over and over again, recognizing when we've gotten out of touch and how we can come back into touch with our lives. Now, there's some really great fun practices to do this as well, too. Show that next slide, if you will. Some of you know George Takai, advocate for GLBT rights, played Sulu on Star Trek, purveyor of amazing internet memes. And what it says here is, when you go to lunch, stack at your phones face down at the table during a meal. First person to check their phone pays the bill or cleans up the dishes. Awesome. Next time you go to a meal with someone, do this. Do it with yourself, by the way. My wife, by the way, has gotten into the practice of physically taking this from me, so it's not quite voluntary yet. But I always appreciate it, because this is where my attention likes to wander to. Try it as a practice. See how much more you pay attention. Pay attention to the gaps. Pay attention to when you get bored. Pay attention to when there's a pause in the conversation. Simply just pay attention, rather than immediately grabbing the cookie. Waking up is hard work. It's worth it, though, because denial eventually fails us. Eventually, the chickens come home to roost, or the bill has to be paid, or the debt has to be serviced. Denial eventually fails us, but it's not just about avoiding difficulty. Because when we can stay in touch and when we can vow to be people who wake up, we see the wisdom and the maturity and the connection, what Pema Chodron rightfully calls the healing water of love that will not die. It's not waiting for some ideal moment when all the circumstances and conditions are correct and then we can choose to be in touch. And by the way, we're checking in right now. Are you here? Okay. Good. I'm going to do that from time to time, my messages from now on. It's not because what I'm saying is all that important. It might be. But here's the thing. Whether or not... You would rather be someone else, somewhere, somewhere else, or, or someone else. <laughs> That's even a tougher thing. <laughs> We're here right now, and this is the moment that we have. It's not waiting for some ideal moment to learn to connect. Richard Rohr, who's one of my favorite current teachers, a progressive Catholic mystic, talks about, in a reading he offered this past week, his email that goes out talking about the two great commandments that Jesus talked about. Love God with all your heart and soul and, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Rohr says this, Richard Rohr, Jesus did not say, when you get healed, then you can love. Jesus did not say, when you feel loving, then you can love. Jesus did not say, when you grow up, then you can love. Jesus did not say, and I love this part, when you have dealt with all of your mother, father, husband, wife, child wounds, then you can love. This is, at its deepest level, I love this archetype, this is velveteen rabbit love. <laughs> this is love that is real. When our fur has been rubbed off of us, that makes us real. 
even when difficulty happens. That's when we can love. Sylvia Borstein, who's the kind of the, the Jewish grandmother of the mindfulness movement, I love, love her writing. She talks about a friend of hers, very successful, who found out in her 40s that she had terminal cancer. And she died, in fact, quite quickly. On the day before she died, Sylvia had time with her. And the friend said, please listen to these words. They, they probably are the most important words that I can say today. The friend who was dying, imminently dying, said, I would have wanted more, but I never wanted other. We may want more health. We may want more time. But to also say, I never wanted other, is that ability to reclaim our lives and love in the conditions and under the circumstances of who we are. Reminds me of one of my favorite experiences of seeing two people in love. It was my grandparents. My grandfather lived the last 25 years of his life with completely debilitating Parkinson's disease. And in the last five years that they were together alive on this earth, my grandmother had to go in for an extensive surgery. And by that point, my grandfather was so deeply in need that my mother, although she was willing and we were willing, we could not take him in. And so he went to a nursing home for the full 10 days that she was in the hospital. And I remember their reunion. <laughs> and by that point, the romance, as we normally think of romance, had gone out of their relationship for years. But their embrace, my grandfather in his wheelchair, and my grandmother running as much as I think at that point an 82-year-old could run <laughs> to another person, was just so gorgeous and so beautiful. And their tears of reunion. Of course they would have wanted more health for my grandfather, who worked hard for years to enjoy a retirement that he could not enjoy in the same way. Of course they would have wanted more, but they never wanted other. That is a deep, loving acceptance of our lives. And we can do it in our significant relationships. We can do it with our friends. We can do it within ourselves to accept the fullness of our burdens and accept the fullness of our blessings. But it only can be done by allowing ourselves to be snapped back to reality. To remind ourselves, as William Blake once said, the great romantic poet, joy and woe are woven fine clothing for the soul divine. This capacity to get in touch with what is on the deepest way possible. It is about searching for something that I've heard from so many of you and so many of us we want desperately. We want authenticity. In a world in which so much is fake, in a world in which so much is simulated, in a world in which so much is knocked off, in a world in which simply there is just simply so much cheap crap and so much cheap posturing, and so much putting up a false face. So many of us search for authenticity. Authenticity has an older name. It's simply called the real. Today, may we all be real. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. higher power found in that 
deep water of love at the center of all existence that does not die. May we allow ourselves to get in touch. May we allow ourselves to be here. May we allow ourselves into the moment that is through this conscious contact, may we trust, even in difficulty, even in sadness, and in joy as well too, that we are touching the only partially hidden hearts, holy heart of life. May we allow ourselves to pull back and away from the blinders that we have imposed upon the real, to get in touch, and to be people who are blessedly connected. Amen.